Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to all present here this morning. We also extend a special welcome to all visitors who have joined us this morning and also those who join us via the live stream. This morning we are privileged to witness the baptism of two young covenant children. We pray that we may all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel and by witnessing this sacrament of baptism and that God will be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements this morning. Next week, Sunday, we look forward to celebrating Christmas. The afternoon service will now be held at 3pm instead of at 4pm. And this morning, the worship service will be led by Rem Poppy. Before we commence the worship service, let's sing together from Psalm 9, verse 1. rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's now sing a song of praise to our God. We're going to sing together Psalm 98, the verses 1 and 2.
the Lord's given us his law to convict us of our sin and also to show us what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's listen to the words of God's law as it comes to us this morning in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. When we hear the law of the Lord, brothers and sisters, then we are convicted of our sins. Hopefully we repent of our sins, that we recognize them to be sin, and we repent of them. We're going to do that. If that's what's in your heart, then we're going to sing of that. We're going to do that with the words of Psalm 79, verse 3. We're going to pray to God that he would show us grace and then also praise God for his, his kindness towards us. So let's sing together Psalm 79, the verses 3 and 5.
Baptism has requested for two children of our congregation, for Shepherd and for Amira. To that end, let's read together the form for the baptism of infants. You can find that on page 597 of your Book of Praise. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine of holy baptism is summarized as follows. First, we and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. This is what the immersion in or sprinkling with water teaches us. It signifies the impurity of our souls so that we may detest ourselves, humble ourselves before God, and seek our cleansing and salvation outside of ourselves. Second, baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. We are therefore baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father testifies and seals to us that he establishes an eternal covenant of grace with us. He adopts us for his children and heirs, and promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil, or to turn it to our benefit. When we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises us that he washes us in his blood from all our sins, and unites us with him in his death and resurrection. Thus we are freed from our sins, and accounted righteous before God. When we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assures us by the sacrament that he will dwell in us, and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the forgiveness of our sins and the daily renewal of our lives, till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Third, since every covenant contains two parts, a promise and an obligation, we are through baptism called and obliged by the Lord to a new obedience. We are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust him and to love him with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. We must not love the world, but put off our old nature and lead a God-fearing life. And if we sometimes, through weakness, fall into sins, we must not despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin, for baptism is a seal and a trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. Although our children do not understand all this, we may not therefore exclude them from baptism. Just as they share, without their knowledge, in the condemnation of Adam, so are they, without their knowledge, received into grace in Christ. For the Lord spoke to Abraham, the father of all believers, and thus also speaks to us and our children, saying, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. For an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Peter also testifies to this when he says, For the promises to you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Therefore, in the old dispensation, God commanded that infants be circumcised. The circumcision was the seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith. Christ also took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. In the new dispensation, 
baptism has replaced circumcision. Therefore, infants must be baptized as heirs of the kingdom of God and of his covenant. And as they grow up, their parents have the duty to instruct them in these things. In order that we may now administer this holy sacrament to God, to his glory, for our comfort, and for the upbuilding of the congregation, let's call upon him in true faith. Almighty, eternal God, in your righteous judgment, you punish the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood. But in your great mercy, you saved and protected the believer known as family. You drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea, but led your people Israel through the midst of the sea on dry ground, by which baptism was signified. We therefore pray that you, in your infinite mercy, will graciously look upon this child, these children, and incorporate them by your Holy Spirit into your Son, Jesus Christ, so that they may be buried with him by baptism into death and raised with him to walk in newness of life. We pray that they, following him day by day, may joyfully bear their cross and cleave to him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love. Grant that they, comforted in you, may leave this life which is no more than a constant death, and at the last day, that they may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ, your Son. All this we ask through him, our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Can I now ask the parents to please rise? Beloved in Christ the Lord, you have heard that baptism is ordinance of the Lord our God to seal to us and our children his covenant. We must therefore use this sacrament for that purpose and not out of custom or superstition. That it may be clear then that you desire baptism for the right purpose, you are to answer sincerely the following questions. First, do you confess that our children, though conceived and born in sin, and therefore subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation, are sanctified in Christ, and thus as members of his church ought to be baptized? Second, do you confess that the doctrine of the Old and New Testament, summarized in the confessions and taught here in this Christian church, is the true and complete doctrine of salvation? And third, do you promise this father and mother to instruct your child in this doctrine as soon as they are able to understand and to have them there instructed therein to the utmost of your power? Brother Simon, what is your answer? Sister Lisa, what's your answer? Brother Mulder, what's your answer? And Sister Mulder, what is your answer? Brothers and sisters, following the baptism, you're invited to rise, and we're going to sing together from Psalm 103, verse 7. Shepherd Vance Mulder, I baptize you into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Brothers and sisters, let's call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. Almighty, merciful God and Father, we thank and praise you that you have forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. You received us through your Holy Spirit as members of your only begotten Son, and so adopted us to be your children. You sealed and confirmed this to us by holy baptism. We pray through your beloved Son that you will always govern these children by your Holy Spirit, that they may be nurtured in the Christian faith and in godliness, that they may grow and increase in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that they may thus acknowledge your fatherly goodness and mercy, which you've shown to them and to us all. May they live in all righteousness under our only teacher, king, and high priest, Jesus Christ, and valiantly fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion. May they forever praise and magnify you and your Son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one only true God. Now, Father, as we're about to open your word together, we pray for the blessing of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would open our hearts to the message of the gospel, that we not only understand what you've done for us through baptism, that we also appreciate this through the powerful working of your spirit in our hearts through the proclamation of the gospel. Please bless us together and please hear us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So brothers and sisters, this morning I get to preach God's word to you as we find that in Luke 1, the verses 76 to 79. In connection with that, I thought it's appropriate for us to read together some of the rest of the verses of that chapter. So I invite you to open your Bible with me to Luke 1. Luke 1, you can find it on page 1016 of your guest Bible. Luke 1, we're going to read together the, the verses 5 to 25, and then we're going to pick up near the end the verses 57 to 80. So Luke 1, starting at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. 
And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the, power, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these things, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. And then it carries on, it talks about the foretelling of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, about the visit that Mary has with Elizabeth and Mary's song of praise. We're going to continue reading in verse 57. God's word continues, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun shall rise, shall shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So far. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from from hymn 16, the verses 1, 3, and 4. 
The text for the sermon this morning is taken from the passage we read together from Mark, sorry, from Luke chapter 1. It's Luke 1, the verses 76 to 79. Let's read those verses together once again. You find that on page 1018. So Luke 1, starting at verse 76. The God's word says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 15, verses 1, 2, and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, over the course of the years, and even decades and centuries, the Lord has seen how much misery we have brought upon ourselves. So much sin, so much pain, so much suffering, so much anguish. And it gives him no, no joy. It grieves him to see his people sin and to see them suffer as a result of their sins. He knows that sin brings judgment, that there is a time where his eternal judgment is going to come down on those who have sinned and who have not repented. And he doesn't want that to happen. He is a loving father whose heart is filled with compassion for people. He delights to bring people in fellowship with him so that they may be forgiven for all their sins and that they can live in an open relationship together with him. And so as a great act of kindness, he decided to send his son to restore his people, to rescue them from their misery, and to save them from his judgment. But you know, the question is, who's going to share? Who gets to share in the work of the Lord Jesus? Next week's Christmas. Christmas, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Maybe it's happened to you in the last week or last month. Somebody asked you the question, are you ready for Christmas? Usually what they're talking about is, have you bought your presents? And you've got a tree decorated? And do you have your lights up? But you know the question, it's a good one. Maybe just in a little different way. Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready? And at core, the Lord says, His Son is coming. The Savior of the world is about to come. And is your heart ready for that? Do you understand what that means? Do you appreciate what God is doing? You know, at the time, the people were not ready. God was about to send His Son into the world, and the people of Israel at that stage, they were not at all ready for His presence, for His appearing. They were just carrying on with normal life as they had done for many years. And it wasn't really a possibility in their minds that God was going to come. And they didn't really have an understanding for what that meant and for what, it, what, it, what they need, needed to do to prepare for that. 
Well, this morning, the Lord, he, he tells us the story about what happened during that time. And he tells us the story about how he got his people ready. He sent his servant, John, to prepare the people. That was John's job. Your task is to get the people ready. You need to prepare them so that when the sun comes, that it's a blessing for them and not a curse. You know, the reason it's important for us this morning to reflect on these things is because the day is coming when Christ is going to come back. Not the first time, but the second time. And God tells us in the Gospel of John, he says, the first time Christ came, it was to save. The second time he comes, it is to judge. And so the question is, are you ready for his appearing? Well, we're going to consider what it takes to be ready with this theme, in tender mercy, God sends a messenger to prepare his people for the coming of his son. We're going to see in the first place who John is, and secondly, why he came. So what does it take to get ready, brothers and sisters? How do you know if you're ready for the appearing of of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, our text spells it out. If you go to verse 76 of our text, it says there, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. John came to give knowledge of salvation to the people in the forgiveness of their sins. He wanted people to know about the coming salvation work of God. He wanted people to know that the way salvation you share in salvation is through the forgiveness of all your sins. And that was something that the angel Gabriel, he prophesied about John. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter here, verse 16 and 17. Gabriel told Zechariah that his wife was about to have a son. Then in verse 16, he says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John came to prepare the people by turning their hearts back to the Lord. Now you have to understand that at this time, many people weren't really thinking about God. They didn't really know God, and they didn't really love him. They were his people, this was the people of Israel, but the reality of their lives is that the Lord was actually pretty distant from them. They often went through the motions, they were religious, you know, they, know, they knew all the sacrifices that they were supposed to perform. They knew all the religious ceremonies and all the feast days. And, and they were able to tick all the boxes. But at the time, their heart wasn't in it. They didn't really understand who God was. They didn't really hate their sin. They didn't really flee from their sin. But they were stuck in this no man's land where, where they kept up all the appearances. But in the meantime their hearts weren't really devoted to their God. But our Lord Jesus Christ came, then it blew them away because he spoke with authority and he told them about God and he talked to them about the things that mattered, about justice and mercy and love and righteousness. Well, it shows that at the time, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they weren't talking about those things. They didn't know God. They didn't lead people in a relationship with with the God of heaven. And the other reason they weren't in a good place is because at this time, the people were really despondent. They were suffering. And they'd actually been suffering for a long time. 
The last time the Lord sent a prophet was a prophet Malachi, and that was 400 years earlier. And during those 400 years, it was pretty bad. Alexander the Great, he was the Greek, came in, dominated the world. After him, you had the, the Egyptians, the Ptolemies in the south. You also had the Syrians, the Seleucids in the north. And especially the Seleucids, they were under the, the control of the Syrians for quite a while. And the worst time was Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He was a really evil man. He connived against the people. He got the people to, to betray one another. He would elevate anyone who is willing to betray those who really worship God and those who really love the Lord. And so he did a huge amount of damage among the people of God. Well, the people, they hated this. And they wanted freedom from this political oppression. And so they fought against them, the Maccabees. They fought to, to have the independence of their nation once again. But no sooner did they have their independence than the Romans came in and the Romans ruled the land. And that's their current situation when John came. They were under Roman oppression. Just imagine, you have Roman sentries who are roaming the streets, who live in your cities. They tax the people, this huge tax burden. So you have a hard time eking out an existence. You're in this place where there's just untold suffering because of the oppression that you face from these foreign powers. And so these people, they were, they were really despondent. You know, many of the people, what they longed for most of all was political independence. You know, one of, the, one of the disciples of the Lord Jesus, you remember, he was called Simon the Zealot. Well, the Zealots were people who were freedom fighters. They're guerrilla warfare. They were devoted to the freedom of the Israel nation, the Israelite nation from Roman oppression. Well, can you imagine living in that kind of setting, brothers and sisters? Imagine if that's us today. Imagine you're living in Ukraine or, you know, and, and you lose the war. And a foreign nation comes in and they dominate you. A whole bunch of your people are killed. Some of your sons are taken away as slaves. Some of your daughters are taken away as mistresses. You know, you have a really hard time making ends meet, making things happen. You're in that state and you're pretty low. Where is the Lord? And who is the Lord? And what's that all about? And how do we serve him? Well, that's the context in which John the Baptist comes. And God sends him to prepare the people. You have to make them ready. They've forgotten about me. They don't know me. They don't understand me. They're not ready. They're not prepared for my coming. And if they're not ready, then when Christ comes, then it won't be a blessing for them, but it will be a curse. Because instead of them turning to him in faith, they will reject him. And then my curse will come upon them. And so John comes because the most important thing these people need is the forgiveness of sins. And the only way to receive forgiveness is through repentance. But when John came, it was a pretty unique experience. He was a really unique individual. He goes out into the desert. And then when he lives in the desert, he's living off the land. The man ate locusts. He ate grasshoppers. He collected honey from wherever he could find it. And his clothes was camel's hair. He took some hair from a camel, 
and he, he wove some clothes for himself. And so it was quite sensational. The people went out to see him, but it was not just to see him, they went out to hear him. Because John preached a message of repentance. He was really bold. You people, you need to repent of your sins. Because if you don't repent, then the day is coming when God's going to come to you and he's going to judge you. But at the time, it was not just sensational because of who John was and what his message was. The Lord actually, he helped his people during that time to understand who John really was because he was a clear fulfillment of a prophecy, of an earlier prophecy. It was back in Isaiah 40 that the Lord prophesied that exactly such a person would one day come. Isaiah 43 to 5, a prophet would cry out in the wilderness and prepare the way of the Lord. It's actually a little later in Luke 3, verses 2 to 6, that Luke tells us that John is the, the direct fulfillment of this prophecy. Well, to appreciate John's message, just think for a moment about what Isaiah meant, what, what the context was for Isaiah when he gave his prophecy. John came to make the people ready. What does that entail? Well, it's the same thing that Isaiah did for the people. When Isaiah was prophesying, the people of Israel were in great distress. They're in virtually identical situation. At that time, they had drifted away from the Lord's service, and so the Lord had sent the Assyrians against them in the north, and the Assyrians had taken over the whole northern kingdom, the ten tribes. They were gone into exile. And the southern two tribes, the Lord had sent Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, his commander, against Jerusalem. And it was at that time that the people, they pleaded with the Lord. Hezekiah was the king. You read through Isaiah 36 to 38. Hezekiah, he prays to God. He says, you are the Lord and you are the one who can rescue us. And our hope is in you because you're the only one who can do it. And God did it. He saved them from these Assyrians. But the very next chapter, you have this, this chapter squeezed in between, chapter 39. You have the next nation, the Babylonians. They come and they come to Hezekiah and they want to praise him for being able to survive. They, they talk to him and they encourage him. And what he does is he invites them into his space. He shows them all his treasures, all the temple, everything that he owns. And implicitly, he's saying to them, hey, by the way, let's make a treaty, you and us. We're in this together so that the Assyrians don't dominate us. Well, the next thing the Lord says, you are going to go into exile, not to the Assyrians, but to these very Babylonians. And that's what happens. The Babylonians come in and they take the Israelites off into exile. And we're in that, when they're in that space, the people are devastated. What's the message of God? His message is, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Literally, speak to her heart in a very tender way. God says to Isaiah, you need to tell my people, you need to comfort them. 
need to tell them that their sins are covered, that I'm going to show my tender mercy towards them. I'm not going to judge them anymore, but I'm going to come to save them and to rescue them. Well, this was John's task. He also had to speak the tender mercies of the Lord to his people. It says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God. In tender mercy, John came to the people, and he came to tell them of the salvation work of God. But the only way they could share in that salvation was through repenting. They had to recognize their sins. They had to turn away from that sin. And so John came with this message of repentance. We didn't read it, but if you, if you go a little further, then you can read the calling that he gives to the people to repent. It was back when the angel Gabriel first announced the birth of John that it says, And he will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So he's coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Well, it's quite a, a prophecy, because it's actually a fulfillment of another earlier prophecy. The very last words of the Old Testament, 400 years earlier, the very last thing that God had said to his people in Malachi 4, the verses 4 to 6, God says, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah. The very next word he says to them 400 years later, through John, or he says to Zechariah, John's coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is the prophet who's going to bring my people back to myself and prepare them for my coming. And his job is to turn the hearts of the people to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Maybe if you, if you want to read, turn with me. Let's just go back and we'll read together the actual prophecy that's written in, in the book of Malachi. So you open your Bible with me. We'll read from Malachi 4, the last few verses of that chapter. It's on page 955 of your guest Bible. So Malachi 4, we're going to start reading at verse, verse 4. Malachi 4.4, 4, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the children, the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. In the first place, he's going to work reconciliation among the people. And that reconciliation has to happen because otherwise, Malachi says, otherwise, God's going to come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Well, the word here, it's, it's a unique word that's used in the, in the Old Testament. 
God's utter destruction is his cherem in Hebrew. It's a destruction that he brings upon those who rest under the covenant curse because their rejection of him. God's about to judge his people. But before coming in judgment, he first wants to work reconciliation. He wants to turn people back to him. He doesn't want to bring the judgment on them. Well, the situation in Malachi's time is that the people had already experienced the covenant curse. They'd gone into exile 586 B.C. When Malachi wrote, it's around 400 B.C. So they'd come back out of exile, they'd settle into the land, but the problem was that nothing changed. They didn't serve the Lord faithfully. You read through the book of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, they didn't give the Lord the best of their flocks and herds like he demanded, but he gave them, they gave him the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Or in chapter 2, the priests neglected their tasks. The people were divorcing their wives. Chapter 3, they're committing sorcery and adultery and swearing falsely and oppressing the laborers, the widow, the fatherless, and the immigrants. The Israelites were living in sin, just like they were before. Well, the Lord warned his people through Malachi... You can't do this. You can't live like this. If you keep this up, then I will come in judgment. And then he says, I'm going to send a prophet in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he's going to help you. And so when John comes, he is the prophet who comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. And his message to the people is, you can't do this. You can't keep on sinning. Because if you keep it up, then the day comes when, when the Son of God comes and he comes to your judgment, to your destruction. And so John, he, he tells the people, it's the Lord's tender mercy that he's appealing to his people. And so John gives the message to the people. It's in 3 verse 7, Luke 3 verse 7, the crowds come to John to be baptized by him. And what does he say to them? He says, you can't continue on as you were. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abram as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise from these stones children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You can't continue in sin. You must repent. Well, it's a really important message. Not just for the people in Isaiah's time or Malachi's time or John the Baptist's time. But it's an important message for our time. You can't continue in sin, brothers and sisters. You can't do it. Because otherwise, when the Son of God comes, then His coming is not a blessing. But it becomes an act of judgment. Do we worship the Lord with glad and thankful hearts, brothers and sisters? Do we recognize our sin for what it is? Do we repent of it? Honestly repent? Name it for what it is and turn away from it for what we've done? There's no more excuses. You can't say everybody's doing it. You can't say I'm going to change later. You can't say it's not that big of a deal. But the Lord's decree of destruction is waiting. And it will come down. 
on all those who continue in their sins and refuse to repent. And when the Lord Jesus came, then he was so grieved over Jerusalem. Matthew 23, he issues these seven woes against the Pharisees, the leaders of the people. Woe to you, you Pharisees, you blind guides, you hypocrites. You make things look all good on the outside, but on the inside you're full of evil and corruption. And so he issues all these woes against the people because they don't change. And at the end of it all, the last verses of Matthew 23, he just grieves. He's like, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I wanted you to come to me, and I wanted you to experience my grace and my mercy. But you were not willing. You wouldn't repent. But it's the heart of your father, brothers and sisters. He wishes to show you mercy. He wants to save you. He wants his coming to be a blessing and a delight for you. And so to that end, he calls you to repent. Are you willing? Be honest. Will he actually put it away from you? If you do that, brothers and sisters, then the coming of the Lord Jesus will be a very different experience. In the next verses, we're told that because of the tender mercy of God, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The sunrise will visit us from on high. It will give light to those who dwell in darkness, to those in the shadow of death, that will guide their feet into the way of peace. It reminds you of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, sometimes we know what it is to live in the valley of the shadow of death. We know what it is to, to experience the darkness, to experience the effects of the darkness in our lives. Sometimes we struggle powerfully against sin. We hate our sin. We see how it offends the Lord. And we want to get away from it. We see how it leads to guilt and to shame and to broken relationships and to estrangement from God. And sometimes we live under the burden of the effects of sin. There's so much suffering in our lives, There's so much pain. Sometimes it's physical. For some people, it's you're diagnosed with cancer. There's so many appointments, there's so many treatments, so many follow up visits. And sometimes the end is good, and other times it's really sad. Some of us face a lot of pain. Some of us have had very difficult operations. We have long-term ailments that we have to contend with. Some of us grieve the death of loved ones. We 
We grieve deeply, especially on the special days, at Christmas, and at New Year's, and on the birthdays, and on the anniversaries. Some of us have to contend with the brokenness of sin that's being committed against us. As a child, you'd be mistreated, harsh words, they're not easily purged from your heart. Or in marriage, you have years of distress in marriage, and that's not easily untangled over, the, over a short period of time. But the Lord, he sees these things, brothers and sisters. He knows our pain and our suffering. He has tender mercy towards us. He's come to rescue us. And so he says, I'm sending my son because I love you, because I want to bless you. And so repent of your sin and seek my face and you will experience my tender mercy. Amen. Let's sing together, brothers and sisters. We're going to sing from hymn 15, verses 1, 2, and 3.
Let's call upon the Lord in, in thanksgiving and prayer. Prayer this morning, we'll remember a, a few things specifically. Remember our brother and sister, Verbruch. Um, in the first place, they, uh, they have COVID. Um, they're suffering under that. But the other matter is, is they have a son-in-law who has a brain tumor. And this has been growing for some period of time. And it's come to the point that their son-in-law is being taken into respite care. And so it just keeps progressing. And it's quite a serious thing. And it's something that, yeah, we'll ask the Lord to, uh, to comfort them around that. The son-in-law, he, he doesn't profess faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is some of the great pain that they have in their heart. We'll also pray for, the, um, for Pindari. Um, one of the men was involved in a situation of serious self, self-harm this past week. He was hospitalized and it was really quite a traumatic incident um, for him and for the, um, the others involved with Pindari as well. So we'll ask that the Lord surround them with his care. And there's, there's a few others um, that we'll pray for. The other one that I can mention at this point is that um, today is a very special day in our mission church in Gila. So in Gila, they have the situation where they're having their very first baptisms and profession of faith. They're looking at seven professions of faith, nine adult baptisms, and the 13 baptism of children. So they have 29 people who are joining the church in Gila. So the Lord is very, very kind. So we'll celebrate God's good gifts to them. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you because of our sins. Lord, you are the great and awesome God. You're God who desires to save his people from their sin, to restore us in a relationship with you. You've taken it upon yourself to send your son into this world so that he could bear our curse and that he could restore us to you. Yet, Lord, the, the problem's with us because many times we're people who don't really care all that much about you. We're pretty caught up in our own lives and we do our own things. At times we give sin a place in our lives and we don't deal with it. We don't repent of it. We don't seek your face. But we allow it to fester and to sit there. Father, we thank you that you take the initiative once again. That you send your prophets, your your ministers, to warn your people. To call them to repent so that they may be ready for the great day when Jesus Christ returns. Dear Father in heaven, we've heard that call to repent this morning. and We pray that you help us to take it to heart. Grant that we can be honest about sin in our lives. That we're able to put it on the table, to confess it to you, to confess our sins with the people around us, to those whom we have hurt, to ask for their forgiveness and to repent of it. Father, we pray that in this way, that we may be prepared for the day when Jesus Christ comes. We're so thankful that next week we get to look forward to the celebration of Christmas. We celebrate the time where you send your son into this world to deal with sin. We now are looking forward to the great day of judgment. We thank you that Christ is going to come back to take us to be with you. And that we pray, Lord, that none of us would be missing. Grant that no one here worshiping you this morning may turn away from you or may have an evil and unbelieving heart that doesn't trust you. But rather, Lord, grant that we may seek your face, that we may rest under your grace, and that we may receive a share in your eternal kingdom. Thank you that, that you offer this to us, and thank you for the help that you give us. Thank you that you are the God of salvation who grants salvation as a gift. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you would please also 
accept our thanks and our, our joy and our praise to you for the gift that you give of salvation to your people in Hila. It's just amazing to hear that they have 29 people who are joining the church, that you allow seven professions of faith and nine adult baptisms, that 13 children are going to be baptized as well. Lord, we honor you and we praise you for the work that you are doing. We, we ask, Father, that this work may, may bring fruit and that it may continue. We pray that that this day of celebration can be a beautiful witness to the communities where they live, that other people can, can hear about these things, that they can be curious about, about the work that you're doing in the lives of these people and that their hearts can be changed. We also pray, Lord, that these, these young Christians can stand firm in the faith. We ask that they may be more and more grounded in your word, that they understand the extent of your promises and your love towards them, that their hearts may be filled with love for you, that they may be able to resist sin and stand against the devil. And we ask, Father, that you would be with the leaders of the congregation, that they be able to train the next generation of people to know and love you. Please give them wisdom and discretion. Please grant that they're able to deal wisely with the, the matters that they have to deal with. There's still, still much sin in their lives and our lives. And so we, we pray, Father, that you would help their congregation to walk in faith before you, and that you, you bless the leadership, that they can provide the guidance that's needed. Father, thank you so much for the blessing that you give on the work of mission. Thank you that you allow us to participate in sharing the gospel. And thank you, Father, that you, that you grant this joy to us. We pray that your word may continue to go out, that you would grant many more people to, to know you and to love you. Please bless the work of our missionaries. Be with Reverend Young and with Reverend Paul, and please grant that they're able to, to faithfully bring your word to your people. Please sustain them in their lives as well, Father. Please grant that, and in their personal lives, that they be kept safe, that it may go well with their families, that they can be deeply grounded in your word, that they can walk closely with you, and that they may receive your blessing in their lives. Please also be with Ben and Marinda Vandekamp and with their family as well. Please grant them all that they need as well in, in assisting this work. Father, we also come to you. We wish to, to thank you for the blessing of new life that you've given to our brother Dathan and Katrina Plater. Thank you that Elias Anthony could be born. Thank you that all things are well for them. Lord, we pray that you would surround them with a special sense of your love and nearness, that they, that they may receive this child as a rich gift from your hand, and that, they may, that it may go well with them, that they can bring him up to know you and love you that they can also be bonded together as a family. Thank you that as a congregation that we get to share in this special moment with them. We ask, Lord, for your, your grace upon them, that, that you would give healing to Katrina, and that all things can be well for their son, Eli Elias. But we also pray that you would please take care of the Verbruchs. I want to ask, Father, that you give them healing after COVID. Some others in our church who've had COVID and are getting over that, and we pray that you be continue to bless them as well. We also pray for, for our brother and sister, Verbrook, Lord. They have sadness in their hearts. Their son has a brain tumor, and things keep degenerating. It's at a stage where the doctors really can't do much more for him. And so we ask, Father, that you be near to them, that you help them during this time, and that you comfort them. And the greatest sadness that they have, Lord, is they, they long for their son-in-law to know you and to love you and to walk in your ways, to trust in you. We pray that this may yet happen, that he may grow in that, grow in an understanding of that. 
and that he can clearly confess that he puts his hope in you. Your Father in heaven, please, please be with their daughter and with the family. Please surround them with, with your care during this time. Please also comfort this family, Lord. They've, they've experienced much death in the past years. He's had a number of brothers who passed away, and it's been a really difficult time for them. And so we, we pray for the peace of our Lord Jesus and for your love and care in their lives. Please also be near to, to all those others in our church, Lord, who are grieving the death of loved ones. We have some who, who recall this quite acutely at this time, and we ask that you would please remember them, that you comfort them with your, with your word and with your promises, with your Holy Spirit, that you give them the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we also wish to thank you that our brother Spanerman could receive successful surgery this past week. We're grateful, Lord, for the, for the care that you show for him. Please continue to sustain our brother and please continue to draw him near to you. Please be with his wife and please surround them with your love and care. We also pray, Lord, that you please be near to the, to the residents and also the, those who are working at Pindari. Had a situation this past week where one of the one of the men had a, a serious incident of self-harm. It was really quite a traumatic incident for, for the staff who were there, for the, for the family who's, who's there as a caretaker, and, and also for some of the volunteers. We ask that you, that you be near to your people, that you comfort them. In the first place, Lord, we pray that you be with this brother. He's receiving medical care at the hospital. And we ask that you please bless the work of the doctors, that they are able to assist him. Pray that he may look in faith to you, that you would give him relief from distress, that he may receive your peace and your comfort in his life. And then, Father, we, we pray also that you would be near to those who are involved with this, that you, you grant your, your comfort. Father, we recognize that as we seek to, to help those whose lives are caught in sin, that there's so much darkness and that there's quite a profound impact. We ask that you be near to all those who who've suffered and who have struggled because of this darkness and because of this pain, that you surround them with your love and care and that you provide your nearness. Lord, thank you that we can bring these things to you. Thank you that you are our Father and that you love us and that you promise to look after us for Jesus' sake. Please grant us your salvation. Please also be this afternoon, Lord, with the work that's being done at Seaforth Gardens. Looking forward to sharing the hope of the gospel there once again. Grant that the word may go out, that people may be encouraged, that these elderly people can also put their hope and trust in you. Father, we ask that you would now please accept our thank offerings from our hands. Please hear us and please grant us your blessing on this day for Jesus' sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you have the opportunity now to serve God with your thank offerings. And the, the collection is for the, the work in PNG. Thereafter, we're going to sing from hymn 18, verses 1, 2, and 3.
receive now the blessing of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.